Hello, my friends. Welcome back to the Naked Leadership Podcast. Yet another episode with myself. This is Chad and Dan and Adrian. And you know, there's all this talk about this hubbub about work satisfaction. How do we measure it? How do we know if somebody's satisfied in their work? And does that actually mean longevity and good work and all of those sort of things that we associate when we think about work satisfaction. That's the topic of this episode and we get into some really great stuff uh, as we define what work satisfaction is, how we can talk about it more effectively and how we can create it with those who are in our organization. Thanks so much for joining us. Before we jump into the conversation, I want to remind you that Dan has written an ebook on change management. It's called The Change Imperative. You can go to change-imperative.com and get your free copy. Yeah, that's right. I said free copy. Don't waste any more time trying to convince your team that change is needed. Go grab this book today and you won't be sorry. I promise. Now let's get into the conversation. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Conversation, the Naked Leadership Podcast. This is Chad. I'm here with my friends, Adrian and Dan. How are you, gentlemen? Hey, doing great. I'm pumped around. Yeah, good. I hope you noticed who I said first there, Adrian. Uh, so today we're talking about... <laughs> I'm used to being left out. Yeah. I feel very satisfied. <laughs> well, <laughs> I hope that left you satisfied. We are going to talk about satisfaction today. Job satisfaction. This is a term that I hear a lot out in the world as like a big idea, almost with capital... J and capital S, like this is where this is the goal. This is where we're going. And I don't hear a lot of conversation talking about what does that mean? Is that actually a worthy goal? What would be the details? What would life look like if we had job satisfaction? And so I'm always skeptical of any idea that we can't bring to the ground and actually have a conversation about and paint a picture or a vision around. And so I don't know if anybody can relate to that experience, but uh, just I thought this would be a fascinating conversation to have. You both have so much experience working with people who would describe themselves as satisfied and unsatisfied in their work. Sometimes they're the same person. Sometimes. Depends on which day you talk to them. Right. That's right. That's right. So uh, I just wanted to start off by talking about, you know, as uh, I think it's a great starting point to, as you guys hear me say the term job satisfaction, what comes up for you? What do you hear with your clients? What do you hear out in the world? Uh, where does your mind go when you hear this term? And I'll, I'll mention too, we we have used this term in uh, reference to the Harrison yeah. that we, that we the, the survey, the Harrison survey that our clients take to find out what their job satisfaction might be or where they might be satisfied and unsatisfied. So it's interesting to put some definition around that and actually have a conversation about it. But I'll put it out to you, Dan, if you want to go first, just give us an idea or, or kind of where does your mind go as I talk about this uh, idea of job satisfaction? Well, yeah, it, as it relates, let's start with the Harrison. It relates to the Harrison is basically if you... It comes from the um, the work enjoyment theory or enjoyment performance theory, which is uh, was a is a is was discovered or revealed in studies that have been done over the years that if a person enjoys seventy five percent of the work that they're doing, 
In other words, 25% of it I don't really care for, but I do it. If I can have 75% of my work valuable to me, alive, what I dig doing, then I prefer doing it, then I'm going to be satisfied with the, the work. I'll be satisfied with dealing with all the ups and downs that go along with it. In fact, they say it's three to 400% greater chance of succeeding if you enjoy 75% or more of your work. So in that sense, satisfaction means you're cool with the process. You're, you're able to and enjoy and express yourself in a way that's going to be fulfilling. Now, the word satisfied is an interesting word because it comes from the word satiated, like you're full, that kind of thing. So in that sense, you know, you know, I don't know if I want to be full. I want to continue to be hungry. You know, it's, um, you know, Michelangelo had a number of sayings. One of them is, you know, he, he prayed that he could always be in power. He would always be inspired to do far more than he could accomplish. But the other one he said is, you know, if people knew how hard I worked to get my mastery, it, it wouldn't seem so wonderful at all, right? Like, if you knew what this took, you may not think it's so wonderful, which is what I think much happens to many of us, you know, where you get all excited about a job and you get in there and you realize what kind of work you're going to be up to and, you know, what kind of diligence it's going to take. And you go, I don't know if I like this that much. Right. So that's, that is, you know, and satisfied being satisfied with the work or full, it's meaningful. Then I'd be willing to take those difficult things on and learn from them so that they could forward me in ultimately what I'm about doing. Right. I can override my, aesthetic need to enjoy everything I do to get to what I'm committed to. And that brings meaning, right? So. Yeah, that's and that's really where I, I'm hoping to get to in this conversation that I'm glad you dove right into it is, is what, what are we actually talking about? And I think we are talking about finding meaning in our work. And I think I also think it's so interesting that you bring up that satisfied uh, or satisfaction is is that is rooted in satiated and and meaning complete and done and you know no more and I don't think many people are saying that when they talk about job satisfaction. Adrian, what are your thoughts? I've got I've got a nerd point here. Just I just just because I moved this last weekend, I've, I part of what I got to move was my books and I'm and I love books. They're like friends of mine, and I found an old book that somebody gave me. It happens to be the Dictionary of Word Origins. It was right at my left hand. Uh, yeah. Hello, nerds. And welcome <laughs> all the nerds. Anyway, to satisfy means to make enough content, but it, it, it is connected to these ideas to um, champion what you guys are talking about, to make enough. I mean, part of, you know, what's the purpose of the inquiry is where I begin. Like, why do we want to gauge work satisfaction and for whom and what about it afterwards? That mm -hmm. I would start by asking those questions about the nature of the question itself. Because what you want to, I mean, it seems like the point of the question is what will help people be what will help people be satisfied, I think is the point. Like we want to study it so we can help people be satisfied. Um, but I don't know about all the listeners. I know it's hard for me to be content as a human, period. Like to stay contented is not an easy task for me. And I, and I think most of the workforce, because not because of the quality of the HR programs and the quality of the leadership, I think it's because of the nature of human is naturally a discontent being. And so part of what we're talking about when we're talking about work satisfaction is we're trying to gauge something that 
the conversation about work satisfaction is actually about human satisfaction, not just work satisfaction. And I, I might be way off in the deep end here, but I, I think we're missing part of where we need to aim the question because yes. an HR package might do something for someone. A vending machine in the lobby might do something for someone. A, and uh, taking away a meeting a week might do something for someone, but that won't get to the core issue, which is inviting people to make, to create meaning for themselves through work. Yeah. Now, so a little more on, on the word satiated because it's got some interesting interlocking meanings. <laughs> There's, you know, I thought about this in, in the ancient, uh, like when you go back, if you go back into the Hebrew times, right? It's interesting because there's a whole thing around being blessed. The word blessed means to be satisfied or satiated. In a certain, like you're, and what, the way it comes about is by expanding, right? So one of the, the biological examples of this is when you eat, you, ex, you fill your stomach, it expands, releases hormones to your brain, tells you you're satisfied. But the idea is that the expanding is what produced the satisfaction. It's also used if you think about a woman being pregnant, she, you know, she expands and it causes certain hormones to go and she feels rewarded, fulfilling. It's meaningful as she's and she's really, you know, you think about how amazing uh, a pregnancy is in a birth. The, so if you take that to human nature, part of our fulfillment or meaning is to get beyond our, our limits, get beyond our what, you know, what we're normally used to and into new territory to stretch right and to, and that stretching actually causes a sense of satisfaction or a sense of meaning but if i try to stay there then then it becomes old it doesn't have the meaning it did before so it's a perpetual pushing outward or going deeper you know expending the tent Right? The tent pegs, making it larger and larger so more and more can fit in or I can learn more, right? Yeah. It's an interesting dynamic. That's a really interesting point, Dan, that you know, this this idea of satisfaction is almost a moving target. Yeah. It is a moving target. Once we realize a level of meaning, then we're looking for more meaning. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like I went to this. Like you think about it, if you get good at anything, I, I play a lot of chess or used to, and I got, you know, once I got good at certain level, I wanted to get a little farther. So I'd play a little more difficult player, lose for a while, try to, you know, get up. Then I start beating the guys who were beating me and I get better and better. Felt good, but it was, ne it's never enough. It's like, yeah. okay, you know, now I want to play a, a master, right? And see if I can beat him. Yeah. And there's so many, I think there's so many theories and people teaching job satisfaction or how to find satisfaction in your job. That's Adrian. That's what I heard in your comment is like, how to's, how do I do this? And, you know, whenever we hear how to's or, or whatever that I think in our work, when we hear how to's, we, we question the how to and go more to what does it take or yeah. who do I need to be? And, you know, I also think about quotes like, there's there's tons of them out there, but I think of like, do something you love and you'll never work a day in your life. And to me, there's a lot in question with that quote because, well, what's wrong with working? And if we're trying to avoid work, can we actually be satisfied in our work? And so that's, I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot that comes up for me yeah. in that. And I know for me personally in my life, as I've embraced the work as 
as a process and yeah. with all of its parts that come with the process. Yeah. I find so much more meaning and opportunity to feel like a uh, important part of the work rather than just something that's easygoing all the time. Yeah. Well, there's so much here that I get salivating about. So for, number one concept here is at least another question that hits me is whose job is it to be satisfied at work? Like whose job is it? Is it an employer's job to generate satisfaction or is it the employee's job to generate that? Both are two very distinct games. And I, I we work with lots of employers that are, that are stretching their backs, you know, bending over backwards to try to get somebody to be satisfied enough to stay or expand or do something new. And I think, you know, they're, they're playing the wrong game. Mm-hmm. I can't do that. I can't insert satisfaction into anyone. I can't deposit satisfaction. Satisfaction is generated, but internally always. I could give people exactly what they want and they still might not be satisfied based on the, what they make up, what they decide to believe about it, right? I mean, there's a, a story, I'll, I'll keep it vague. There's a story about what people have been complaining about a leader we work with. And he showed up very differently in a meeting and they were in, uh, really in a way they wanted him to show up. And then they were skeptical about that. Suspicious. Yeah. Suspicious. Yeah. Now what's this about, right? So we've been waiting for this person to be a certain way. Now he's that way. It's not, oh, hold on a second. Now what's he up to? Right? <laughs> Now, they could have been like, wow, this is amazing. Please keep this coming. Instead, they were, huh, this is weird. What are you up to? Now, only to point to the, you know, we say it all the time, like the meaning of the message resides in the listener or the receiver of the message, right? So I get to make up. So when it comes to this specifically about job satisfaction, part of it is it comes in on the front end. When we're orienting people into work, is helping them take resp- personal responsibility for generating the meaningful experience they want while at work. And if they're having an experience that they don't want, for them to t- keep responsibility for going and voicing the concern and making the request to solve their issue with their job satisfaction. Yeah. You know, we, we talk a lot about the distinction between, you know, responsible and victim. You know, and if someone's on the victim scale, like life is happening to me or this job is happening to me or this boss is happening to me, there's really no room for a shift. There's no room because that perspective must be fed. That perspective must be that position will have to be proven. If they don't have power, they got to prove how they don't have power. And if they're upset, they got to prove who else's fault it is for being upset. That's a that's that's only it's not a person. That's a framework inside a person. But to install or to invite or, you know, someone to have a, hey, I'm getting exactly what I want. So I wonder why I have what I don't want. What else do I want here? How can I go generate that? Usually it's, it's much more risky to be, to be responsible than it is to be a victim. It's interesting because you, you hit on some things there. Because what I hear you saying is aligning expectations because certainly I can, if I'm going to be committed to making sure I'm going to be fulfilled in my work if there's meaningful it's meaningful to me i want to take responsibility for how i'm going to participate what i'm going to be doing and you know what am i doing what am i committed to actually have happen what do i want to how do i want to develop how do i want to be paid what kind of authority do i want what kind of social expectations do i have i mean there's i there's eight different areas that we can very clearly identify but how do we do we really you know i i know that 
part of our work has been getting the employer to be conscious about these potentialities, these expectations, and then to create like like how many people when you hire somebody, do you know what their top four expectations are? Like, what do they care about the most? Because if they can see how those things are going to be served, how they how they get those things, like the opportunity is there. Yeah. It's not going to be given, but you, you listen, if you're up for this, this is what's available. If they can see those top four or five v- things that they value are available and that they can get them and that the organization is st- structured in a way to support them to get there, you have a different person, right? But the organization has got to be prepared for that, conscious of it. And then the individual, you got to orient the individual. But if I'm conscious of it as an organization, I'm going to look for people who are willing to be responsible for it. Mm. I think what we see a lot of times with the founders that we work with is they're so bending over backwards to make sure that they meet. And and I, I know when we first started our tech company 10 years ago, we did this and it's a problem. Because then what we're orienting to, we're basically telling people, look, we'll take care of your expectations. Like, if it gets too much over on the employer side, rather than we're committed to you fulfilling your expectations by 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 contributing to this work that's meaningful. The larger picture, if we accomplish the larger picture, we want you to see how through that accomplishment, you're going to fulfill these need, these values, right? That's, yeah. that's a that's a dance, man. So as yeah. the employer's got to be ready for that, and then like get the balance between yeah, we're ready for it now. Are you up for it? Yeah, because there's a challenge for you to get here. We, I mean, I don't think we could say we could. I don't think we could say this enough because this is such a big distinction, and I think it's based on some fear, right? We don't want to lose great people, you know, and that's a good comes off like a fear. It's actually a, a really important concern to be connected to. What does it take? To keep talented people, right? And people and talented people don't want to lose good opportunities, right? right? So, driving on this point about, you know, are you here? Here's another distinction as you think about this: Are you here to get something, or are you here to give something? Mm. Big difference in the level of satisfaction that will come, the level of engagement, the level of enjoyment, the level of joy itself. If I'm here to give something and make a contribution or am I here for somebody to contribute to me? And when they do, then I will, which is like the, the natural human paradigm, which is transactional. Mm-hmm. If they, then I will, if, you know, and we know this, I know this all the time. I mean, in lots of my relationships, um, it shows up all the time. If then, if, you know, if then type stuff. Um, but what hits me is the, you know, it's a couple of things. One is I think the frustration for employers around this conversation is, and founders is because if you're a if you're a top tier leader, or if you're someone that's willing to found something, willing to start something, then you know, and probably you're a little wired this way, meaning you love it, that you love the challenge, you love the struggle, you love defying odds, you love you love laying yourself out for that star catch. You love, you know, it being the fourth quarter and not having anything left in you and finding new levels of capacity and treating your body like it's a machine to get the goal, right? There's part of certain leaders that they love the struggle. 
And part of what I think is a challenge for them in this convo is that they don't get other people that are wired or have a conversational, they're in a very different conversation about work. There's a lot of frustration there. Yeah. Um, That's part of it. It even just came up this morning on a call, didn't it? Where it's like, hey, when people aren't willing to sacrifice for something, I lose my mind. That's essentially the quote from a founder this morning. And it's because they, from his perspective, he's just not wired that way. He wants the struggle. Oh, this is hard. Great. This is what I signed up for. Oh, this is not easy. This is going to, you know, cause, you know, uh, make me leverage everything I've got. Oh, great. Because he's the part of the struggle is what's satisfying for him. He's up for the mm-hmm. challenge. He likes the challenge. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, it was interesting to see because he was aware that there was, he was missing something in his upset, right? Like, like rather than, because it's more complex than what he was making it up to be, right? It's, it's more complex than why aren't they as committed as I am to this work? But that's a good way to simplify it, right? As we got into it, it really, part of it is to keep people, like we have a responsibility as a founder or as, a, as an employer to create the environment that supports people in living the way we, we want them to live, like we mm-hmm. are inviting them to live. So part of that is when something gets done or somebody commits to something and it doesn't get done or it gets done, then there needs to be a completion, right? We started looking into that. And there's a lot of incompletions, something, you know, they start a project, they stop it. They don't debrief the team. They go on to the next project. They, they do that project. They, maybe they win. They go on to the next project. There's no stop to go, Hey, congratulations. Let's learn yeah. Both along the way, you know, and like there's, there's the project and then there's the, milestones along the way and what i've been noticing is that if you don't stop and complete each milestone and then the project people build up with a lot of they make stuff up yeah right and they they're afraid to go further because especially if you do something it doesn't work and then you decide to pivot and go some other direction if you don't complete on what you did do and people don't learn what worked what didn't work they're going to take all that fear and, and with them and they're going to take all the incompletion with them. And that continues to build. Yeah. So, and, but clearing that is part of the fulfillment. It's like bring, cause it's like when you, you see what didn't work. Yeah. And you look at what, what's wanted needed and you go, Oh, I can take that. I see what was missing. All of a sudden there's a rebirth of possibility and I want to move into the next the next project because I'm bringing with me this experience and I know it's going to be valuable when I get back in it. So I really want to go again. I, I don't know if that's happened to me many times where I feel helpless because, and, and want to quit because I, I failed. I couldn't see what I did and then have a debrief with a coach or somebody and then see what didn't work, what's wanted needed and go, I'm going to go back in to what I was hopeless about 20 minutes before. Uh, so many ideas here. I mean, part of it is, so there's an analogy and I always like analogies just because it makes things make sense to me. If I can put, I, if I can language and experience, I understand the experience better. Right. So, and what, what's hitting me is I think a lot of employers, founders, bosses, whatever, think they're dealing with a drafted army instead of a volunteer army. Mm. Oh, that's right. Good. Because yeah. it's because, you know, I was just thinking about, well, soldiers don't need anybody to say, hey, how are you feeling? How scared are you today? Do you think you'll die? Because whatever you're in the middle, you're in the you're in the fifth battle of 10 and whatever. Just shoot. That's what you do. Be smart. But and 
but it's always a volunteer army. Like people, even if you're paying them, like if they're going to show up, that's a voluntary act. If they're actually going to engage, it's a voluntary act. I mean, you, they might owe it to you in quotes. People can't see me putting quotes. They might owe it to you or you might have, but it doesn't guarantee anything. And so to, to, to orient yourself to your workforce as if they're volunteering. Now, I hear the complaints already of people are saying, well, I pay them. They should. I know they should. But their shoulds actually also don't dominate their life. You know, they're not going. I mean, you don't want them to show up out of obligation. You want them to show up out of desire and out of commitment, you know, for themselves. Right. Their own personal agenda is going to get satisfied by being connected and committed to the corporate vision. You know, so seeing your like, even if you're paying them, orient your, orienting yourself to them to, to check in with folks. I'm thinking about a story where one of our companies, they've got a big move happening and their, their troops were really tired. And one of the guys spoke up saying, oh, I, I hate this here. You know, I hate, you know, I'm really worn out and I'm burnt out. And that seemed like to the leader offensive that he would say that out loud in a meeting. And what's always true, what's almost always true, I'll say, uh, what I'd wonder about is like if one person's feeling it, I wonder how many are feeling it, which is to your point, Dan, about clearing. It's like if there's an indicator. Thank God he's talking because yes. people that people that struggle in isolation plan and escape. People that struggle in a community, in a communal standpoint, get connected. Yeah. The struggle Dead. gets us connected. Dead people don't talk. Right. Yeah. That's right. So getting, I mean, illuminating the challenges, illuminating the dissatisfaction is a way for people to find satisfaction. Yeah. If it's contextualized rather than it lives in a complaint, you've got to, great, let's talk about that. Let's vet that. Let's get, reinvent that. Let's reinvent who we are and what we're up to. That will help us. This is really hard. It's happening. It is really hard. This is the hard part of the story. It does. It's not supposed to be easy right now. This is hard. You know, it's like partially. I mean, we just got done with this move, right? I mean, done is a generous term. We're in the middle of this move still, and at multiple times, I kept telling myself, "Oh, this is what today's supposed to feel like." Yeah, right. All the stuffs and boxes, and I just see the long journey to get things unpacked, and the thousand decisions I've got to make about what I'm going to do with this little piece of paper that my three year old drew for me, and do I keep this or the anyway? The complexity you know, brings about a feeling, a generate, a gen, like, generates a feeling of like struggle. But, you know, in certain life, in certain moments in a life cycle of an organization or an employee's life cycle, there is the challenging part. And that's supposed to feel challenging. And you might say, I'm not satisfied at work. But the person that's having the struggle, if you'll support them and illuminate the combo and just let them know, oh, this is what this is supposed to feel like. Or, hey, you failed. Yeah, this is the hard part. And that's okay. Or, hey, you're new here and you still don't feel connected to people. Because, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking about, I flipped through a book as I was looking through all my old friends, my old books. I was flipping through Tom Rath's book on, uh, you know, the guy from Gallup and talking about their Q12. One of the core questions in the Q12 that's usually surprising to people is, do you have a best friend at work? And they have studied over time that if people answer yes to that, I think it's like 75% increased chance of being, of like being engaged at work. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, so, but, you know, do you have any friends here is a decent question. Now that do I have any friends is an indicator that are you connected to people? You don't have to be friends. Like, are you connected to people here? That, according to Gallup, will point to if, you know, if people end up finding satisfaction, because connection is a, for most people, connection is an essential 
experience. Like I'm, I'm willing to go through the hard time if I'm doing it with somebody else. That I care about. That I care about. And they care about me and they're advocating for me. And when I'm upset, they'll hear me and they'll help me do what I need to do to help advance things. Yep. You know, so anyway, these types of th- these types of dialogues around the dissatisfaction, um, around helping people take responsibility for their own satisfaction will help solve the issue. You know, yeah. you know, like corporate, there aren't any corporate solutions to personal issues. Yeah. All of this, most of this is, is bringing up a client that I'm currently working with who for 10 years has been a writer and a fact checker, fact checker for ESPN. And he's departing. He's, he's leaving. He's, it hasn't turned out the way he wanted it to, to be. He hasn't found the opportunities in the position that he wanted and so he's ready to move on. And so a big portion of our conversation is how do you want to move on, man? Because he's deathly afraid he's going to recreate the same situation that he's had at ESPN at wherever he goes. And he has an opportunity. He's a brilliant guy, very knowledgeable in his line. Like he is, he's a gem for somebody to have that needs his thing. And he's considering an opportunity, but he sees characteristics in the new opportunity that remind him of his current situation. And so uh, my question to him is, hey, what do you want? And how are you going to make it known? How are you? Because part of the problem is in his old position, he never made known what he actually wanted. Like, where is he going? What does he want out of the position and how does that align to their, how does that align with their goals and their uh, benchmarks and what they're going after? And he just has basically prostituted himself to this organization, given up everything that he wants to quote unquote, satisfy them and fulfill the role for the chance of an opportunity that they don't even know he wants. Right. (laughs) And so we're working through this foundation of like, okay, man, what do you want? What are you, what are you standing for when you go in? And also what are you willing to give in, and, and be this value. And Adrian, this, I wanted to double click on something that you talked about was, are you approaching it from what can I give? Are you approaching it from what can I get? And I think, on the what can I get side, you qualified it with, if you do, I will. Yeah. What I wanted to click into is I wanted to make sure we, it was clear that I think it's, from my perspective, it's great to know what you want to get. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't know. I, I wanted to get your thoughts and, and a little bit more um, understanding of what do you mean when, when it feels like the setup is, uh, if you do, I will. That's when the problem, but that's that's the possible grounds for a problem or or dissatisfaction in your work. Yeah. So, one quick f- frame framework is when you're having this conversation with people, you need to you need to notice where they are in the conversation, which we call that context, right? So, if mm-hmm. I'm if somebody's telling me what's not working for them at work. I'm going to try to listen. I'm listening for how they see themselves in relationship to the conversation, in relationship to the future they want, in relationship to what they think is possible, in relationship to me. Yeah. What, and which is, for those that don't know what I'm talking about still, because I'm speaking coaching verbiage, uh, potentially, is what, what do they believe about that? Because that is 
that is who they are in the moment. We are our belief system. We, you know, we show up as what we believe about what's happening. Our perception becomes us. So, um, or we become our perception. So when, when somebody's asking those things, I'm, I'm listening for how they see themselves. Now, here's my point. If, if people speak as the passenger in the car, then it's good to notice that, that they don't have the power. They don't have the authority. They don't have the, you know, the possibility of intervening themselves. Now, they might feel that way because of the way you've organized the culture. You've actually enrolled them to be passengers. You haven't, you've told them not to bring up things that aren't working because you don't have time or because, you know, tired of people complaining or whatever. There's lots of reasons why people orient people to be passengers and then complain about it when they don't have take personal stake in solving issues. What we want people is to be driving their own experience. The good, that, I think that's, that's the, the most potent conversation that's there is that if, if someone was to say, hey, this isn't happening and I contributed to it not happening, and that's usually a mystery to them about how they've contributed. Most, and for most folks that don't feel like they have authority, their contribution is omission, their unwillingness to bring something up. So my point in the whole giving and taking thing is it is really vulnerable to speak your mind. It is vulnerable to be transparent, like we've talked about in some recent episodes. It's vulnerable, it's vulnerable to be transparent. It's not vulnerable to be hidden and complaining. That's not vulnerable at all. You know, so that's you're inviting them to be seen, like to have a complaint, but not to have a complaint just to have one, to have a complaint and to be committed to a solution. That's mm-hmm. vulnerable. To have a complaint is not vulnerable. To have a complaint and be committed to a solution is vulnerable because it's going to require them to say things that they don't know how it's going to go. Yeah, to get a stake stake in the conversation. Like, hey, Tom, my boss, hey, you know what? This has been happening and, you know, I've been really upset about it. Uh, I don't know how to talk about it, but I really need to because if it keeps going, I don't know how this is going to work out long term. That's a vulnerable conversation. You can say it however you want to say it, but that's a version of it is to actually stand out there and say, hey, this thing that's happening doesn't really work for me. I want to know how to engage with you to help solve it. Do you see it as well? You know, I I assume other people are seeing it. I don't know. I haven't talked or I have talked about it. That's even more of a confession. Hey, I've been talking about this this with with Susie for five weeks about this thing, about you, Tom. Nobody's going to say that out loud. But that might have been there. People have gossiping instead of solving. Um, But it's, you know, so to the, the point here is, to get committed to the next future, the one you want, is mm. more vulnerable. And that will require a generosity that probably up until now they've been unwilling to put on the table. Because waiting for a qualified moment is a lot easier and it gets to reinforce the victim stance. Yeah. Is I can't because you. Because I can't because you. Yep. So that's more about what I mean. I don't know if I said the same thing over and over again, but yeah. I want to go back to what you It's interesting because when you talked about your client, Chad, after you were done, was he ready to go? What do you mean? Like, was he ready to take it on again? Like you were saying. Oh, yeah. 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 It sounds like it because what you did was you, you were really clear about what he did, to, how he contributed to his current state of dissatisfaction. That's right. And yeah. that's. Usually people don't want to move into a new situation because they haven't been able to see how they got themselves into this situation, right? That's right. And yeah, he was empowered. Yeah, and then the, and with Adrian speaking to, 
anytime I hear myself or others externalizing the responsibility of what they want to have happen or I want to have happen, then I know I'm going to be frustrated and disappointed because others aren't going to take care of what I care about. <laughs> and, yeah. and then, but it's, you know, it's a pretty cool racket because a lot of, I know I have done this. If you can be good, if you're good at deconstructing something, you come across like an expert. But the problem is if you don't, if you're not willing to get vulnerable for a solution, then that's what you get stuck with. You're, you just get, you deconstruct what was working at some level. And now you have something that doesn't work at all. Mm. Or you're afraid to get involved because you have to construct something else. And to construct something else means you have to put yourself at stake and take ownership of whatever you're doing. So yeah. that's why the solution is so important. If I'm going to break something down, I, I, okay, good. This is what I, or I might break it down. Here's the other thing. We tend to go to a solution too quick. I'm going to break it down with you. So I get really clear about what didn't work. And I have confidence that in doing that, what will emerge is what's next. And then I'll get on with that. Hmm. Yeah. As we round third on this conversation, time-wise, um, I wanted to touch a base and both of you have mentioned it multiple times is process. And for me, the, the idea that comes up during when I hear the word process is a whole uh, variety of experiences, not just one. And I think one of the mistakes or one of the, the things I hear or make up when I hear people talk about job satisfaction is that it's always wonderful. <laughs> that it's always easy. Everybody bends to your will. You love everybody that you work with. You always agree. And I just wanted to, I wanted to make sure that we, ch- we touched on the role of conflict and failure in meaning. You know, we're, we're kind of making this distinction between satisfaction and meaning, which I love. Uh, what, is it, what role does conflict and failure play in meaningful work? When you have diverse ideas at the table and diverse approaches, you're going to have conflict, right? But conflict is an interesting thing because conflict is the fire that stokes the crucible. And the crucible, let's say, you know, a crucible is something that you use to refine or combine metals, right? It's a a fractional distillation process where you heat this bowl up and maybe put silver in it and all the, you know... It gets hot and all the all the impurities flow over the top and you have a pure metal in there. But it takes that heat to do it. And the heat conflict is the heat. In other words, people are in conflict because A, they probably care about it turning out. B, they're, they're, they have an idea of how it can turn out. And C, their ideas are colliding or they they don't align. And so there needs to be some discussion to come to the best decision. And and the other thing is failure is, you know, failure in, in our culture, it's like we're, we're terrified of failing. In fact, we beat each other up over it like you failed, like it's a problem. But I, I always think of that famous quote from Thomas Edison, you know, after he declared he was going to invent the light bulb and failed 10,000 times. Of course, the press comes to him asking him, are you ready to quit now? And he's like, why? I'm 10,000 steps closer. <laughs> right. But I, I don't, you know, I do a lot of work with, we do a lot of work with tech firms that are doing something new. And part of the process, when you're doing something that's never been done before, zero to one, not repeating something one to two, but zero to one, whenever you're doing that, 
where you come up against failure at a very high, you have to fail fast and you want to learn from each failure. So each iteration brings you closer. Well, if you bring people in that, that need to always succeed at something and they can't see the, the benefit of failing, like, like what did you actually accomplish? What did you learn from it? Sometimes in, in the tech world, you might trash a project that you've been working on for six months but the process taught you something about what you need to do. And that's why you left that project. I worked with this tech firm and they had this, they were had to come up with this algorithm. And after they came up with it, it failed radically multiple times. But as they studied its failure, they just, they realized they had taken the wrong path that, but this showed them the right path, but they, that was six months work. And in clearing the engineers, it was like getting them to a place to see the value in what they did, right? Because they felt it was a complete waste of their time. But for the organization, and for it actually was very helpful because they discovered the architecture they ought to be using. Right? Sometimes that's what it takes, right? But we have a sense that it shouldn't do that and that there must be something wrong, bad, or broken with this failure. Right, with it, them, or me versus wow. I wonder what, what you know. Like, what did we learn from this? And it, it took some time, but when the engineers got cleared, they were ready to go again. Yeah, yeah. And I'll just add, when it comes to the work satisfaction conversation, and you know, willingness to step into conflict. Like, how can how can the the tension that naturally arises on a team be an asset towards? Work satisfaction. I think that's the question. How do we how do we shift our belief about conflict and tension so that it's an asset, right? How what does it do? So what it so a couple things come to me. One is like a worthy sacrifice. Like I I want to create or do or make this impact. Like as far as like a person's connection to the outcome, to the mission, to the vision. If you're they're connected to those things then they're willing to fight for it to happen. Number one. And, but number two, how, like, what is the, the temperature of the room when it's happening, right? It can be very combative. It can be very cold. It can be, you know, think about in your own experiences or like you're in a meeting and how many bullshit meetings you have because you're unwilling to have the conversation. Like you're, you, the meeting is about avoiding this person or avoiding this conversation. An unwillingness to have the conflict, you know, it, and why do we do that? Well, we're usually not connected. I'm trying to find language for this one, but it's really like connected. Ideally, it's connected advocates like, hey, I'm with no matter what is happening or how frustrated I am about what you're doing. I'm here for you. I want you to win. Mm. And, you know, where that's lacking, people won't be willing to have conflict because they don't care about the person. They've yeah. chosen not to care. Then they've chosen, then they've chosen to, for that person not to care about them, by the way, as well, right? There is a self-generating reciprocal relationship to how we're treating people. Are we investing in them or are we using them? Yep. So most people won't have the conflict because I just want to use the person. And so I w- I'll avoid the personal conversation. And then we get mad because they act like tools, but that's, that's how we treat them. That's right. But, you know, if if I if I'm willing to be committed to the person, despite what they're doing or what, how they're showing up in this moment in time, then the temperature in the room goes higher. Right. You get to the core issues faster. And I mean, I, when somebody is willing to have, 
you know, conflict with me for my sake, right? When it's like, hey, for me, they're going to bring something up that's not working. What a gift. What a gift to me when those things have happened in my life. When somebody wanted to issue a complaint or, hey, checking in with you about this, you know, that's a gift to me. So like what is conflict from, I put that in quotes, what is conflict is usually where people are coming from and the purpose of the conversation, right? So if it, if it is to really illuminate and get connected to the person and then help work with them to solve the issue, that builds a team and that builds satisfaction. That's how you build friendships. That's how you build comrades. That's how people are all of a sudden in this fight together. And that's what's possible. And the more we do that and practice that, because that's not easy, quote unquote, and that's you're going to fail a lot at it. And that's also how you get better at it. So throwing yourself into it and being willing to fail um, and actually putting that in the context. Hey, we're not so good at doing conflict here, are we? Everybody's going to nod their head. Hey, you know, we, we, we avoid a lot of things here, don't we? Yes, everybody. Yeah, great. So we're going to go through a really this patch of time where we're learning how to talk to one another. And I'm learning to illuminate things. I'm going to learn to listen to you. And you're going to learn to listen to me. And, you know, it's like a lot of those contextual conversations that will actually, you know, cut people some slack. And, yeah. yeah. And one of the things that beat people down is repeating the same conflict over and over again, which usually that's usually a sign that we're moving to solution too quickly. Yeah. But I don't want to live in the tension of the conflict or the breakdown. So I try to find a, con- I try to find a solution quickly. And, it, and usually when a problem is repeating over and over again, you've got the competence at the table. There's probably something in the way that people are working together that needs to be talked about to get on the table to open up and, and requests be made, you know, so those things can get mended because it's amazing what people can solve when they work together. And that's usually where it breaks down. Yeah. yeah. What you gentlemen are saying is saying is just so it's so it has rang true from my life experience, everything meaningful that I now look back on the times that were meaningful, the projects were meaningful, were met with conflict, were met with some failure. And I made some comrades in, in the, uh, in the process. Yeah. So I, I think keeping that in mind, we're creating something meaningful if we're in it together and not, not having unrealistic expectations of no conflict, no failure equals satisfaction. So such a great conversation. So much, so many gems in here for me. Thank you for showing up. And uh, I really, really appreciate it. Thank you, man. Good to be here. Thanks always, Chad. Thank you. Yep. Bye-bye everybody. Well, friends of the podcast, thank you so much for joining us this week. If this podcast has helped you or entertained you at all, we encourage you to go to iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a five-star rating and a glowing review. That'll help us reach more people and grow this community. And finally, if you have any suggestions or feedback for the podcast, we would love to hear from you. You can email me at chad at takenewground.com. Thank you so much for joining us. And we'll meet you back here next week for another episode of the Naked Leadership Podcast.